Welcome to the Michelle Miao Show, your A through Z, covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our special guest today is the director of a new film that is playing or premiering at the San Francisco Indie Film Fest, which is happening right now, by the way, through the middle of February. So we're excited to have a Bay Area favorite, Bay Area filmmaker, he's local here, uh, Richard Wong, and he's the director of Come As You Are. Richard, welcome to the program. Oh, thanks for having me. Um, excited to speak to you. You know why? Why? Well, we had we had a HP Mendoza on. Oh no way! Last year, but during Camfest, and um, it was great to talk to you know fellow local filmmaker. Yeah, especially ones who are holding out and who are still around and making the Bay Area great and inserting <laughs> yourself in the cultural and artsy way, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I still live here. So. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, that. let's start there because I feel like you know it's it, it is tradition here on the program. Um, but at the same time, I find it incredibly fascinating to connect with folks who've been here for a while and made it home and and have made you know films, poetry, art that um, resemble the general area. So let's talk about you. Let's get to know you a little bit better. Uh, born and raised in San Francisco, yeah. Bay Area. Yeah. Wow. I know. Isn't that isn't that funny? As I feel like whenever whenever I meet someone else who has grew, grew up here, it's like, whoa, hey, that's crazy. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's like there's such a transplant city. But, I know. Um, but yeah, I was born and raised in San Francisco, Richmond District, and I and I live in the Richmond District now, even. Nice. Yeah, you're kind of like a needle in a haystack or a gem, <laughs> a jewel right now. It's just been so much change, and we've been yeah. talking about this change for the last. I think five years, but um, how has the Richmond changed? I think Richmond's changed in the sense that um, it's very hard to find parking now. <laughs> I mean, besides things like that, so like I feel like the houses have been divided up and split up, and there's a lot more families living in there now. It's a lot more compressed. But I can't, th- I can't say that the Richmond district has changed. Like, say the, ri- say the mission's changed in twenty, you know, in my forty years here, you know, um, or basically. Anything south of market, you know, I mean, uh, so, you know, I still, it's still very, very Chinese, still very, very Russian. And that's how it was when I grew up too. So it's, you know, I think my, I mean, I grew up there and I I lived in LA for seven years and I consciously made a decision to move back and raise my daughter here. And part of that's to be around my parents, around my family, um, because that's the way I grew up. And so I think in the sense that um, raising her here around her grandparents and her uncles um, and cousins, um, and my experience growing up was virtually the same. Um, I feel like it hasn't changed all that much for me anyway. I know the city's changed a lot, but um, I feel like the Richmond District's kind of been a, fu- a, a nice pocket of San Francisco that hasn't really all changed all that much. Um, that said, I think change is obviously <laughs> a normal fact of life. Uh, and a lot of people, I know a lot of people who are um, in a lot of ways angry about change in San Francisco, but um, I do think it's just like you, it's just something you can't stop. It's a it's a kind of a bulldozer. Yeah. Um, and it's just kind of I've I've kind of an acceptance of the fact that the city is always going to change, and especially a city as diverse as this one, it's it's bound to change, and it's probably necessary. Yeah. Well, you know, speaking of you know, Chinese families, I mean, Chinese immigrants have been here in the San Francisco Bay Area forever <laughs> and, uh, and multiple generations, I should say. And so where do you fit in, your family fit in, in terms of, um, you know, how far back your family has 
has uh, has rooted themselves here in the city. Yeah, well, I guess. Well, I guess according to the UCLA uh, guideline, uh, I think I'm second and a half generation. Like my my dad was born here. Wait, so that third then? So my dad was born here, but my mom was born in China. So um, whatever that makes. And a half, yeah. Yeah, it's like and a half, right? <laughs> but then she came, I think, when she was like 11. So that's like right on the edge of what they consider to be, uh, you know, immigrant or not. Anyway, mm-hmm. so um, yeah, it's like second half generation. I mean, you know, my, my grandparents, um, they met here, but they came from like, – my, my grandmother kind of came from Hong Kong and my grandfather came from China. They met here. Um, but yeah, I mean, I grew up in Chinatown, like a real, like most Chinese kids my generation <laughs> going to China. Well, I was going to have a funny transition period. Like my parents truly grew up, grew up in Chinatown. Um, and then they all moved out to the Richmond district, Sunset district. And then, um, um, but when I grew up, they were both working. So I spent um, every day with my grandparents and we were in Chinatown every day. So it kind of had best of both worlds, like new Chinatown and old Chinatown. Yeah, yeah. One of the things I appreciate about the Chinese American community and the Chinese immigrant community in, in San Francisco is the the uh, the traditions that you know exist throughout the generations that I think contribute to how you feel, which is although there's all these changes that's happening to the city itself, uh, there's still a sense of like home. There's still a sense of tradition. There's still a sense of community, you know, that is around for the Chinese American community. Um, and what I mean by that is that you know there's there's still Long-standing restaurants that you have memories from. Um, you, there's still, uh, you know, individuals or folks uh, who continue to make San Francisco their home. You know, they don't leave. Um, so many families who are now either elected leaders in the San Francisco Bay Area or um, successful filmmakers like <laughs> yourself. Who are some of the notable, you know, Chinese Americans in San Francisco that have influenced your life in the in yeah? Hmm, great question. Never been asked that before. Um, I'll I'll say you know I'll, I guess I I guess just from my own perspective, I'd have to say my grandfather um, yeah. Nias Wong, who was a huge leader in Chinatown. Um, he was a big part of the the five um, what the five companies is that what it's called the five. Um, it's real Chinatown lore stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but I'll never forget because, you know, when you're a kid, you have no idea who your grandfather is other than your grandfather. You know, the guy you play with and the guy you kind of like try to order around a little bit, <laughs> you know. And he was he was such a great grandfather and like so loving and caring. Um, but, yeah, there was this other very shrewd business side to him. You know, he had a ginseng shop in Chinatown. But he also was the head of the commerce and he was the head of the Wong, fa- mm. the Wong Family Association. He started his own association called the Hawk Look Association. And he just had all these associations. So it was, I remember, forget, walking down Chinatown with him. Um, you know, we'd go to Hawk Look all, or we'd go to, um, you know, Sun Wa Kyu all the time, which I miss dearly. <laughs> but, you know, it would take us like half an hour to walk down the street because he knew so many people. He was such a he, – he was so active and was such a leader. And like my dad always ta- talks about um, when he and my mom got married, there was like a thousand people there because – and he didn't know any of them, you know. Wow. Um, and I um, I think his kind of leadership skill – and like so now when I'm older – I've been able to look back on what it was like to be around my grandfather and the kind of leader he was and how all these people looked up to him. And he was the head of the church. He was, he was the head of, he was virtually the head of everything. He became <laughs> the head of everything. And it was, it was his, he was such a natural leader that way that, um, I really do try to, um, I've tried to do some of that in my life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. Thank you for sharing. So what about the first time you picked up a camera or anything, 
uh, you know, that led you to making films? Well, hmm. Um, yeah, I, uh, I picked up a camera, I guess, in high school for the first time. Like, my dad was really into photography, and my grandfather was really into photography. In fact, I never forget finding my grandfather's um, collection of cameras in, in the closet and uh, just pretending they were tanks, basically, because they look like tanks. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but anyway, uh, so it's always been a part of my family, photography anyway, and so um, it's just something I got feel I felt really naturally into just because they were into it. So I, I remember, forget kind of commandeering my dad's camera which to, you know which i've kept to this day and then i've now passed on to my nephew um you know film camera and kind of just learning how to use it just by trial and error um so i took a lot of pictures when i was younger um and when it came time to like decide on a career um i think uh, i was pretty bad at school i was pretty terrible at school <laughs> you know been like suspended and stuff and it just wasn't for me school just wasn't for me but uh, when it came down to going to school um, film school seemed to make sense just because like it, it wasn't something I was like it's not something I was like thought about all the time like when I was 10 years old I was like I'm going to make films when I grow up it wasn't really like that it was kind of like I don't know what I'm going to do growing up well and then my dad was just like well what do you like to do I was like well I like taking pictures and he's like well you should try to think of something that involves taking pictures <laughs> and um, for some reason film just seemed to make more sense than like still photo um, it seemed a little less direct and obvious and kind of cool because I you know, grew up like in movies and stuff right. so yeah I just kind of went, I went to film school and um, I just found myself um, enjoying it and it was the very first time I did well in school and it was because I actually enjoyed it I actually connected to it on a, on a new level um, and so yeah I did, I did film school for a while and then I dropped out of film school because <laughs> I, <laughs> I just kind of started working yeah yeah well I, I'm, I feel like like connected to that just because when you know you're that creative um you just want to get into it and so I, I myself although maybe I like school maybe I didn't I don't know there's so much <laughs> pressure from my parents yeah. my mom my single mom uh you know Asian mom yeah um to to do well in school so I kind of just did that to appease her but I guess if right. I had a choice I would just you know yeah. dove into the stuff that I'm doing right now, which is pick up the mic and just say something. <laughs> right, right. Well, how did, so, she, how did she feel about your career then? Oh, she didn't talk to me for a while. Really? She wanted me to either be a doctor or a lawyer or marry one. Of course, of course. Yeah, she tried to set me up with no her, way. her gynecologist. <laughs> and that was when I was like, okay, news flash. I'm yeah. a big bombshell for you, mom. Yeah. I'm not going to marry him and I'm not going to be a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, now, you know, she sees uh, – she can turn on the TV or she sees me up there doing my yeah. stuff. And so it's yeah. a little bit different for her. But although she still doesn't understand really? you know, um, yeah. what I do, which mm -hmm. I think that that is normal and traditional <laughs> with, with yeah. especially immigrant parents. But going back to you, um, and I mentioned HP you know, earlier, and mm -hmm. he's another local Bay Area uh, filmmaker. At the same time, I think he's traveling and doing a bunch of other stuff now. Yeah. Um, but you also worked with him on Coma the Musical. That's right. Uh, which uh, is such a gift to the Bay Area. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for saying that. Yeah. How did that all happen? Man, well, well so um, – Kind of picking up where I left off before. Then I went to I went to college, community college, San Mateo, CSM, not knowing really what to do, and deciding to take film classes, kind of on a on a lark, just because I just thought I'd be fun. And then um, and then um, meeting HP there. Mm -hmm. You know, we both had a class, and um, interestingly enough, we were both kind of film encyclopedia ish enough. Like when I was a kid, when I was younger, anyway. Like I used to memorize 
baseball stats, you know? Like, I was good at that kind of thing. <laughs> I don't know why. And I kind of had the same similar thing with films. Like, you know, um, I think a lot of people can do this because that's how powerful films are. But, like, you know, you could you could hear a few notes and know what, what movie that was from or you could hear a line or whatever. So HP and I um, instantly connected kind of on that level, this kind of extraordinarily geeky level. But we also grew up watching musicals. And musicals was, like, the, the main thing that made us very connected because he and I... Um, we're the only two people in that class who uh, liked musicals. So it was one of those things where we became extremely good friends during that time. We worked on all our projects together. Um, and we always swore that one day we'd make a musical together. And then, um, and then, you know, and then he went off to, he moved to New York, Philadelphia, really. And I moved to, or I didn't move, I moved on to, to Academy of Art, which in San Francisco, which I didn't graduate from. And, um, but, you know, we kind of separated for a while. We didn't talk to each other for like eight years, kind of amorphously. We didn't get like a fight or anything. It's just like we went off into our other lives. And then one day I went to go see Little Shop of Horrors at, I think, Golden Gate. And uh, I ran into uh, one of his really good friends, you know, and I was like, oh, what's going on with HP? And it's like, it's like, oh, yeah, I should email him. So we reconnected on, on, you know, and he was in Philadelphia doing music, doing, you know, doing whatever he was doing there. His family's there. And um, I emailed him. I was like, oh, this is what I'm doing. And by then, I was working on TV shows at Fox. Um, I I technically lived was going back and forth. I had a place in L.A., I had a place here, but I, I was a DIT on TV shows, um, which wasn't exactly what I wanted to do, but it was a whole. that's a whole other story. It's a whole other piece of schooling that I consider in my life post-college. So anyway, that's what I was doing, and I was kind of like in a in a creative rut in a bit. I was kind of like, you know, I was GI team, but I was learning under great DPs, learning under great directors, and kind of just spent five years doing that. Um, but I kind of had forgotten what it was like to actually create something, you know, and I was a little itchy to do it. So, um, but like the number one thing is that I worked, uh, the, one of the last shows I worked on was Arrested Development, and um, at the time it was really novel because they hired a lot of... Uh, independent filmmakers and you know at the, the at the time uh, what my job was and um how it worked i sat next to the director so i got to like talk to these people and I, what i really really realized was that um a lot of them how they got there was they just went out and make, made a movie so that was kind of stuck in my head so when i reconnected with hp i was like you know what we should do <laughs> um we should just make a movie <laughs> you know and i was like what do you got going on he's like well um the friend that i had run into at golden gate theater little shop of horrors um, it was, it happened to have been his birthday just a couple months prior. It's like, Hey, I wrote this like, um, concept album for his birthday based on us growing up together in Colma, you know, wow. called Colma the musical. Yeah. So it was this like concept album, you know, 10 songs or something like that. And I listened to it and I'm like, I was like, dude, we absolutely could just make this a movie. You know, I had just worked five years straight. So I had some money. I was like, I, like, how, what, what do you think if like, you just like, could you write a script? Like how long would it take? Like, I just kind of like asked a bunch of questions. He's like, I could write a script in one week and i'm like do it and I, I swear to god seven days later he had a script that it, that turned out to be coma the musical and you know we worked for the next month on the script and the music and then we spent the following month in pre-production and then the following month shooting and that was our summer and then we had a movie and then it changed both of our lives wow yeah <laughs> um like i said a, a gem like a gem you're a gem you're a needle in a, in a haystack oh we're raised in stop. san francisco <laughs> No, all these incredible people. And I think we say that because there's been so much of an exodus of really cool people who yeah. lived in the Bay Area, especially in the arts, I film know. and culture and all that stuff. I'm still trying to figure out like what the new culture is supposed to be. Like what do people even actually want to see or 
listen to or absorb culturally in San Francisco these days. Um, but let's talk about the San Francisco Indie Film Festival, your film, Come As You Are. Um, we'll, you'll feature that film uh, during the Indie Film Fest. And I had the privilege and honor to privately screen Oh, the cool. So the film follows two gentlemen, um, persons with disabilities, and, their, and a friend who's visually impaired. And so that's, that's Scotty, that's Matt, and Mo. And uh, there's a personal thing from connection with this film, by the way, and I'll bring it up a little later. But the three friends pretty much are tired of feeling oppressed with super controlling, you know, parents, natural when parents are caretakers of their children who are persons with disabilities or, or, or is visually impaired. And they want to have an adventure, um, led by by Matt for uh, other reasons and I don't want to give all the spoilers but <laughs> they go on they go on this adventure they want to go visit a brothel they meet a, a girl Sam played by uh uh gosh Gabrielle yeah yeah Sidibe. yes yeah yeah that's right and um they all become friends and it's quite the adventure anyway I just gave a very long short <laughs> synopsis <How are> you? <laughs> uh Tell me, yeah, let's talk about kind of how this came together. Yeah, well, it's based on a true story, um, which is incredible. So um, the real guy, Asa Philpott, guy who lives in Leeds, um, yeah, he went on an adventure uh, uh, in Spain um, to a brothel. I mean, you know, um, he lost his virginity in a brothel, a brothel that specialized in special needs. And um, and he just thought it was the most incredible experience, and he felt alive and if you're human and because you know i think it's something that we all kind of take for granted that you know persons with disabilities are non-sexual people for some reason i think i think people just don't think about it you know it's known as well just they don't think about it um and um that became kind of a big part of his mission so he he created this road trip to help other guys experience this thing that he experienced that changed kind of changed his life you know so yeah he put together this road trip and the bbc caught wind of it and they did a documentary called for one night only it's this bbc doc um about this road trip that that is that's great um and then um and then these belgian filmmakers thought that that would make a great narrative film so they made a narrative film called hasta la vista which also is great won a bunch of european awards and did really well in europe um didn't do well here for, for whatever reason but um a guy um, named Barrett Stewart saw it here and thought it'd make a great American film. And um, he thought there'd be a great kind of American spin on it, you know. Um, so this was a while back. This was like seven years ago when he tried to get this thing started. So he hired a writer, this guy Eric, who's great. Um, Eric happened to be in a writing lab with a guy named Grant Rosenmeyer at the time. Um, and so he wrote this script with, and Grant... And he kind of used Grant as kind of a model for Scotty, the quadriplegic of the bunch. Um, so whenever they would do a reading, Grant would read it. And so Grant, just by the nature of being a part of that script, and what, like when he would ad lib, it, it sometimes would make it a script. And he grew this real emotional attachment to the, to the material. Um, but you know, it was a writing lab, you know. <laughs> and then so he got paid, he got you know Eric was hired to write the script. They wrote the script. The producers at the time um, took it out. It, it kind of followed a very classic Hollywood indie trajectory. They they sent it out there. They attached a bunch of movie stars truly um they had a much bigger budget at the time and they had atta- uh, their attachments had landed them um 
kind of a chance to make it, and then the whole thing fell apart. <laughs> right? And so the whole thing fell apart, the rights lapsed. And so Grant, who, by the way, um, when he was 10 years old, I worked with Grant on the very first TV show I ever worked with. He was a star of that TV show called Oliver Bean, and I was the DIT. It was the first show I worked on at Fox. Anyway, so, um, so that's how kind of I knew him. But Grant had been keeping track of this. And so when he um, found out that the rights lapsed, he, um, he had been waiting for that moment, and he pounced on it. He called up the Belgians. He struck some deal that I probably shouldn't talk about or can't talk about, <laughs> but he essentially had um, six months to get, to get the movie made. He, wow. he he set up a deal that's virtually impossible and against all odds and against all any uh, advice that he had got. He just like you know he kind of went into it um, with this, and I mean this in the most positive way. This like real naive um, optimism that like I can get this thing made because I love this so much and he believed in it so much. Um, and, um, the reality was he did, he, that's, it's what happened. Like his passion kind of, um, superseded everything against all odds. And, you know, cause you know, it's, it's the, the reality is make, make a movie about three guys, you know, with disabilities going on a road trip to a brothel to lose their virginity. It's a very difficult log line. <laughs> you know, like you say that at a meeting, they're like, mm, sounds cool, but yeah, pass. He doesn't sound exactly marketable. Um, so he had a very hard time finding the money, but, um, but anyway, uh, the way I got involved was I know Grant from back when he was 10 years old, you know, and I was 20, whatever, four. And I was working the first TV show over and he was a star of his first TV show. And, um, I knew him that way. And then he went off to NYU film school and then I went off to do, you know, I went off and, um, made Colma and then I, um, kind of went down this DP path. Um, and, he had done a film called Temps with a really close friend of mine from from film school, so we kind of I, I kind of reconnected with him that way. I kind of was like, oh yeah, he's you know you're in my friend's film, how cool! Like I ran into him at a coffee shop once, um, and then um, he actually had asked that friend because they just done the film if he would consider directing this movie um, when he got when he got the rights to it, and he was just happened to be unavailable. And then uh, that coincided – so I had gone down this DP path because, you know, I directed Colma and then the strike happened and I ended up DPing a movie for Wayne Wang. And that sent me down this DP thing. And I love DPing, which is the director of photography because, again, it goes back to how much I love photography. I hadn't really considered directing again, but I'd started to get the directing itch again. So I was actually looking for something and I actually ended up going to dinner with that friend um, – because every time I go to LA, I have dinner with them, and you know we're talking about kids and like what's going on. He's like, "Oh, Grant's got a movie. I can't do it." And I'm like, "Oh, great. You know, how's kindergarten?" But then that kind of stuck with me because he he told me what the movie's about, and um, that logline, as unappealing as it is to financiers, was very appealing to me. <laughs> and I was like, "Boy, that sounds that just sounds amazing," you know. Um, and um, it sounds like a, it sounds like a chance to do something just very human, you know, um, which is what interests me the most. So. That night I called him. It was way later, like like at midnight, because it kind of stuck in my head. I called him. I was like, "Hey, uh, that movie you mentioned with Grant, like, um, you, they're looking for a director because I'd be super interested." And he's like, "What? Oh my god, I, totally! I don't know why I didn't think about this." So he sent me the script that night, and he sent Grant Colma that night, and um, and we both loved our respected material. <laughs> we sent each other, and we set up a call for the next day. And the next day, I happened to be driving back to San Francisco, so I called him before I hit I five. And we talked all the way, all the way back. And I drove all the way to Chinatown. I had a dinner at Chinatown that night. I drove all the way to Chinatown, found a parking space, which was a miracle. And then I just sat there, parked for an hour. We, t- we spoke for like six or seven hours, something like this. So some ludicrous amount of time. And in that conversation, we talked about the entire movie, everything about it, casting, like themes, just everything, you know? And um, 
and that and that's the movie you know and then we set out together to raise the money me him and barrett the original producer and um you know so luckily we we found people who who believed it as much as we did yeah and and just gave us the money yeah. which was nuts well what was your like what were you seeing what was the vision after reading you know the script and in that seven hours i mean what were some of the themes that you're talking about or what were some of your ideas if you don't mind sharing Oh yeah, no. I mean, um, I had a million ideas reading it. I, like, um, but you know, we, we largely talked about cast, and that everyone we talked about, like the the people who are in it, their names came up in that meeting. You know, um, and um, but largely th- thematically, I think it's you know, um, I think what I'm really interested in is doing something that could be really really funny, and I think Coma is also like this. Something that could be really really funny, but use the opportunity to use that kind of funny setup and. And talk about something very serious um, without getting – without being preachy or without being too serious or most importantly ever feeling sorry for our characters because I think that's something that – that's a trap that I think um, any storyteller can fall into is feeling sorry for your characters and um, it becoming um, something that's uh, I think just not authentic in, in its own way. Um, so we largely talked about that, about how to stay authentic, how to stay grounded. You know, he obviously cared about that. We both cared about that. And we talked about ways to do that. Um, you know, there's a lot of things I think visually I, I talked about. Like um, if you watch it, like, for example, this is a, these are things that I think no one will notice. But like, for example, in the first act, the camera is always um, the eye level of Scotty. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and then once they once they go on their trip, the camera starts to be more free. You know, um, talked about a lot of things like that, just a lot of the design of of what I thought the film should be, and kind of like how how do we put ourselves in in these people's shoes? Because that's really like the most important thing is to um, to understand what to understand what it's like, but again, not not feel sorry or anything like that. Yeah. Like they're people. You know, I think it's, as glib as it may sound and as simple as it sounds, like really, I mean, we talked to Asta about it, the the, the real guy. It's it really is as simple as that. Like he wants to be considered a person. He, he feels like people don't consider him a person, you know, and it, it simply is as simple as that. I appreciated the film so much. And the personal tie to that is my brother is paralyzed from the waist down ah. and he's been paralyzed from the waist down since five years old. So, um, you know, it was two at, yeah. when, it, when it happened yeah. and, uh, you, and there were just never really was a story that really captured um, some of, you know, the, uh, storylines of even the relationship between my brother and I, and I recognize as an adult, you know, in which society treats persons with disabilities, uh, as if it's just that, you know, you're, you've got disabilities and so the world isn't made for you. You're someone extra, you're someone out there. And some of these human things that a person with abilities can do, you think that you know there you'd think that that person with disabilities can't do such yeah. as something like love like finding someone you know to love yeah. uh go on dates or you know yeah hook up have sex or lose your virginity yeah um and so it was it was very emotional uh and but what i truly enjoyed is that you gave the characters their you know authenticity and by the I mean, in the beginning, I was cringing, like, where's this going to go? <laughs> yeah. Is it going to be another Hollywood film in which we, yes, feel sorry for uh, characters with, you know, uh, disabilities or we're made to feel at the end of it like we've got to do something. Yeah. But in the end, no, it wasn't that 
it was it was what my everyday life growing up with my brother was, which was, you know, um, what do you want to do today? Yeah, and, and and you know, not like how can I help you get through today? Right. Or just two different things. Totally. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's why I wanted to know, like, well, what was your vision and kind of, you know, what was the story um, that you wanted to tell? And maybe like because you mentioned it, you know, that there was some some difficulty and thank goodness you all pulled pulled it off. But the interest level, the financing, maybe maybe people weren't jumping up for joy like that is that's a hit story. Here's all the money you need. Yeah. And what do you think, you know, that what's behind that is just a lot of it people are are afraid, feel guilty. I think I think it's all related. I mean, I think it's all related and it's all it's hard to narrow down to one thing also. But I do think, you know, the talk especially talking to Asta about it a lot. Um and you know, we all become very close and you know, like Grant who plays Scott, he's going to be Asta's best man in his wedding and and all this. It's like, you know, like I I think I think there's a tendency, and it's not necessarily malicious, but there's just a tendency to want to look away. You know, I think there's there's a tendency to to pretend it's not there because for whether for whatever reason people can't deal or they don't want to deal or you know even if their even if their intentions are good uh, they don't want to look because they feel like they're staring and they, they just get self conscious about the whole thing and the whole the best easiest way to thing to do is just to turn around and walk away and pretend it doesn't happen <laughs> it's not there you know and I think I think. Uh, I think you could apply that to kind of all these things that we had, you know, not only did we have a very hard time with financing, um, you know, we had a hard time um, getting distributed too. you know, um, as much as I think everyone loved the movie. I think it was a very universal, I, I, fe- I feel like, and what do I know? Right. But I felt like there was a universally, a universal, um, uh, what do you call it? Response to the movie. Like everyone, everyone, Who's seen the movie? I feel like, like, on the majority, I'm not, it's not going to please everybody, but um, certainly in Hollywood, uh, we've shown it to everybody in Hollywood. And um, as much as it's helped my career, because it certainly has, like, um, it's helped my career a lot. So clearly, a lot of people like it. And and when distributors watched it, um, we were in the room, like, there, there, there were people crying in the theater, you know, people who really want it. But I think. I think it's the same thing. It's like, well, oh boy, how do we how do we deal with this? And uh, boy, is it just easier to turn away? It's easier just to not do it, you know. And I think um, I think that's kind of I feel like that's just a part of it, and something we wanted to talk about in the movie too, you know, especially like things that we all take for granted. And again, just um, they're people; like they're no different. Like you know, I think one of the ad- major attitudes I think we needed to, the filmmakers needed to take on the movie is that it's just it's just a bunch of guys going on a road trip mm-hmm. you know it's not it's not the thing it's like it's a bunch of guys going on a road trip and they've run into obstacles like every other road trip movie you know their obstacles are their obstacles our obstacles are obstacles it's just obstacles you know the yeah. obstacles are the fundamental human experience you know yeah. that's what i totally got I'll, I'll bring up a scene um you know it's the night before they actually go to the brothel and they're at a bar having a great time uh you know getting drunk and and there were a lot of things going through my mind right because again this is personal for me so i'm thinking about like even my brother like i i wouldn't i would i would try to limit him from having too many to drink (laughs) only because i know you know that that'll that'll be a situation uh as far as too much liquids um and 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 uh but 
and I felt myself, right, starting to go there, like my mind starting to go there where, where I'm focusing on the limitations of, of somebody. Yeah. And, and, but what you've done in the film, they're at this bar and they get into a bar fight basically. And, and, and you would think that, okay, someone who doesn't have disabilities, you're saying, well, you're, okay, somebody's going to come help them. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for that moment. Somebody stands up, yeah. physically walks over and pummels this guy who's he's getting in a physical fight with, um, you know, the guys with disabilities, the guy who's visually impaired. That doesn't happen. They end up, you know, kicking this guy out on their own. And then it becomes very clear that, yes, the obstacles are just obstacles, but that, even framing and and answering this question of abilities, like what does that actually even mean? I know, oh, right? totally. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I yeah. mean, you know, it's like everyone's abilities are just different. That's why they say differently abled, right? I mean, yeah. you know. And by the way, that uh, the way they kick him out, that's totally based on true story. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like he like Asta in real life does that. You know, yeah. I mean, so the character Scotty's in a motorized wheelchair yeah, and yeah. uh, pretty much bulldozing this dude. Um, out of the bar yeah and yeah so yeah. like i said i'm the one that's like okay i'm waiting for you know, <laughs> right. the, the whole yeah group in the bar you know to stand, stick up for these folks because in my mind like that's you know, you got to stick up for persons with disabilities um but then it was like yeah i mean yeah you use what again, you got Right. You use what yeah. You got, you know? Yeah. So I love I love that scene. That was a great scene. And I also love the scene in which they find out that their parents have tracked them down at a hotel. Yeah. Um, they've got to leave, but their driver got sick, and so they got to get into the van on their own. Oh yeah. Um, it's a true story in that my my brother w- was with his friend and who is visually impaired, and his car breaks down in a parking lot at um you know, shopping center and they got home. Okay. Where the rest of us were like, uh, you know, and his car is a hand controlled car. Um, but the rest of us are freaking out. Yeah. Right. Like what, how did you get back? What did you do? Who did you call? Yeah. You know, all this stuff that you think that people, you know, can't do. Yeah. But there is a scene in which they all jump into the van and, uh, Mo who's visually impaired drives physically, while uh, Matt, who um, is the person with disabilities, guides him, and they they don't get far, but they they go. Yeah, but they get away. Yeah. <laughs> Not to spoil it, but I think you'll know. <laughs> 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 yeah, I mean, oh. you know, I really I really felt like I related to all that stuff. You know, I mean, who can't? I just think it's a it's just a a. It's just a different part of the uh, of the gamut of something we all feel. We're all we're all trying to gain our independence. You know, it, it's it's not. I don't think it. I, I mean, I remember reading, and and that was a big part of my kind of director's statement when I was, you know, um, writing my my thing about it. Is that it's there's nothing here that we all that we can't relate to. You know, I mean, because it, in the end, it's still all just it's all very human experience, just with a different rapper. Really, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like, you know, just kind of like, because they're physically trying to escape, they're physically trying to escape their parents, uh, you know, visually, uh, you know, yeah. we're all, we're all in our own way doing that from the day we're born, <laughs> you yeah. know, like I, I have a daughter and like, I can just see her getting more and more independent every day. You know, it's like, it's in, <laughs> it's in human nature to do it. You which know? is probably scary, which is <laughs> scary for my, my mom, but um, <laughs> my mom too, I think <laughs> as we wind down, 
although I had a personal, you know, connection with this film and it was just so refreshing to see, you know, my brother's story up there basically. Um, but that had always been like, what I've always wanted the outside world to treat my brother in the way that we have. Although, yes, we can't help but be, we as in, you know, my brother's family members, like be super, want to, you, you want to be supportive. Um, in the end, it, it isn't that he isn't a person and all these things that the questions that we get that is also in the film, like, you know, can he have sex or, uh, you know, can you, can, can, can he hear? Does this make sense? Do I need to speak slower or you know, all these things? Yeah. Yeah. And I think people really need to see the film, um, especially if they don't have somebody who's a person with disabilities in their life. What do you want, uh, you know, a, a general audience to get out of this film? Well, I think it goes back to the um, the turn away. The turn away, you know. I think I think there's a natural inclination for um, you know on the micro a person, but on the macro society to turn. To, to not want to see it, I think. I think it's natural for anybody. You know, you you, you don't want to see something that you don't want to deal with, and there's also kind of a there's just a lot of things you know socially that that would make you turn away. You know, I think if anything, I would hope that if they watch the movie, they, they would just again as simple as rec- realize that um, they're they're people like anybody else. It sounds it sounds even ridiculous to say it, right? But, it's, I know. but it is kind of true. And it's like they have humor. Uh, you don't have to. You don't have to be on eggshells all the time, you know. I I think the egg being on eggshells um, makes it as awkward as you know. It's part. It's a big part of the awkwardness and a part, big part of the turn away, and a big part of everyone wanting to turn away. It's like, oh, you can't deal with the awkwardness, yeah. but it doesn't have to be awkward, you know. Yeah. Um, it's like it's like anything else, and I think you know. Um, in this movie, it's persons with disabilities, but it's um, it becomes true across all human landscape, you know. Uh, and um, and I think if, if that's if that's the only thing we get out of it, I think that'd be enough, you know. A little bit of understanding, just a little bit. It's like anything, you know. And the understanding that um, all it's all just human experience, you know. Uh, everyone's got different obstacles, and it's, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I would say I would add to this. I think it's people with, with abilities, if we're going to look at it that way, who have more problems, more issues, who make it a problem. I know. You know, and yeah. who, who actually contribute to, um, I think, the, yeah, you're right, the awkwardness. Uh, well, the, the film premieres soon. It premieres tomorrow. Tomorrow, but then it comes out. It comes out in select cities and theaters on February fourteenth. Cool. Um, but also digital, um, February fourteenth wide. So you certainly can see it then. Um, but yeah, it's 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 opening night tomorrow at Indie Fest, which is awesome and amazing because we've ne- you know uh, this is our San Francisco premiere, um, and there's nothing like a San Francisco premiere. <laughs> you know, like I mean, it's gonna be exciting. My parents will be there. Uh, I can't wait. Has, has your daughter seen the film or is she going? I don't think she can go. Right, yeah. <laughs> She's only yeah. five years old. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> she'll see the film in a, a few years. She's so aware of the it. film, but yeah. she's also aware that she's not allowed to see the film. <laughs> yeah. And how proud are your parents? I think they're very proud. Um, I think they're very proud. I think uh, I think they worried. Like, Well, you know, when I was a kid, I had a nickname. Um, they called me Little Lawyer because it's the same thing. They thought for sure I was going to be a lawyer. For some reason, but also it's besides Ch- that Chinese dream, Doctor Lawyer. Um, so I do think it's the same thing. I think they were worried when I decided to go in the arts, um, film specifically. Um, but I think now they can worry less. Yeah, 
Yeah, <laughs> I think well, that it matters. <laughs> that hey, matters. you're you're a hero to me, and obviously my family, and um, you know this uh, all the work that you do is super important. I think the arts gives people an opportunity to address their inner demons on a personal level um, because you're not it's not a real problem for you as you're looking up there from an art perspective and then i i think that that's when people actually are more honest with their feelings um so what you do is remarkable and it's fantastic so thank you for another great film premieres tomorrow which theater I don't think at roxy yeah. at roxy yeah, yeah. theater and, and people can get tickets look up san francisco indie fest yeah. i'm sure yeah. and the film is titled come as you are And uh, Richard, thank you so much for being here on the show. Thank you, Michelle. It's been an honor. Thanks so much. 